0: radical environmentalists have declared war on america's cattle in the name of climate change a well-known website will no longer publish beef recipes famous restaurants have sworn off uh, the beef protein and some have even called cows the new coal so what's the beef with beef welcome to farm policy facts i'm your host tom sell this is the podcast where we dig into the information behind the headlines so we called up an expert to give us a real story about cattle and how they fit into rural America's fight against climate change as well as to the American diet. Dr. Tryon Wickersham is an associate professor of animal nutrition at Texas A&M University. Thanks so much Tryon for joining us today and really before we get into it, I want you to just talk a little bit more about yourself, your background. Uh, I'd say you're a modern day cowboy. You're the real deal. Uh, you're also a scientist who, who digs into this stuff in an analytical perspective, actually studies it, doesn't just pontificate, but, but, but actually studies. So just give us a little bit of your background,
1: try if you could. So I am an associate professor at Texas A&M, been here for 15 years. Um, before that, I was a graduate student at Kansas State University and grew up around cattle and sheep, and my family continues to have a small Angus operation outside of College Station, Texas. And basically I've spent the last 23 years researching and thinking about um, how to improve forage utilization by beef cattle and what are the supplements we can feed them to allow them to do a better job. And then more recently have been thinking about sustainability and the environmental uh, impacts of beef production.
0: That's a pretty impressive resume. I mean, it's no Texas Tech University, but, but look, A&M and and k state those are respectable uh places Let, let's maybe just start with the facts um all right we all know that cows produce methane gas but what percentage of greenhouse gas emissions uh can or should actually be attributed to to, to cattle and cattle in the modern uh uh so, you know food supply chain uh particularly uh, obviously these animals roamed and and herded uh, along the earth uh prior to uh uh you know our current population needs and those kinds of things talk just a little bit about how much how much they do produce
1: so i think the first thing just to clear up because a lot of people believe this um it's actually burps or erectation that causes the problem so most of the methane comes from the mouth and that's the result of ruminal fermentation which is uh it's something that's inherent in beef cattle beef cattle are ruminants and they're always going to ruminate and produce methane. Thank you for uh, that important clarification that it's per, uh, This, I mean, it's something that's something uh, that very few people care about, but I care a little bit about. And so uh, they're always going to do it. And they've done it since before we domesticated them, and they're going to continue to produce methane. And the microbes that live within the cow's stomachs, the compartments of the stomach. Um, produced the methane as a result of fermentation. So when you have fermentation, generally you have some methane production. And um, before cattle lived in the United States, we had a large bison herd, 30 to 60 million, had a bison. And those bison are also ruminants. They utilize grass, very similar digestive physiology to a cow. And so they produced methane. They they depended on the same microbes to um, ferment the diet they consumed. And then they released this methane, when we look at methane production, um, somewhere around four to six, maybe a little more percent of the energy the cow consumes is going to be released as methane. So even before we started talking about global warming and greenhouse gases, beef cattle producers have always been concerned about methane because it represents a cost to beef cattle producers, it's a loss of energy. And so we've worked to try and reduce methane by improving diet qualities, the better diet you feed them, the uh, less methane they produce. And then there's even some dietary additives we can give that decrease methane and works continuing to to try and decrease methane. The original question was though, how much methane do beef cattle produce or how much do they contribute? And it kind of depends on how you want to do the math, Um, but uh, somewhere around 3% or maybe even a little less. uh, U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. Well that's pretty small
0: and and you mentioned the the bison herd, the buffalo herd in the U.S. was 36 million animals before. How is our U.S. cow herd at this at
1: this point compared to to that number? Okay so the U.S. cow herd hovers somewhere around 32 million cattle at any one time somewhere around there. I'd have to look to get the exact number. Um, So we actually have fewer cattle Uh, they're maybe consume a little more feed and do a little more uh, activity. There's two things to think about from those cattle. One, we feed them a better diet, so we expect them to produce less methane. And two, they produce more consumable protein, whether that's as milk or whether that's as meat, than the buffalo herd would would produce. So you can look at, like, bison. I think the sustainable harvest rate is, like, 13%, whereas cattle we harvest uh, or greater percentage of that every year uh, consume them as beef. Yeah.
0: Okay. This is this is fascinating stuff. This is this is great stuff, and I, I appreciate your saying. And I, I I know this from all all types of kind of uh, uh, agriculture. We're always trying to reduce the the uh, maximize the useful energy of the plant or the animal uh, into uh, the fruit or the or the or the product. So, trying you recently penned an op ed. Um, titled, I love it, plain and, and right out there for us, eat that burger. In it, you wrote, cattle aren't the source of our environmental woes. They are not the source of our environmental woes. They're part of the solution to a vexing challenge, how to sustainably feed the world. That's a noble goal. Um, can you expand a bit more just on how cattle can be part of a comprehensive climate solution? Um, this is perhaps the most intriguing part of the article for me.
1: Right. So I think the what cattle really provide us is the capacity to utilize unutilizable feedstuffs. So we have a completely different digestive physiology than a cow, and so we rely almost entirely on mammalian enzymes, enzymes that our bodies produce to utilize the food we consume. Yeah, you're talking about people now. So so
0: human mammals versus versus uh, the bovine. Right.
1: So people can only utilize, have a really difficult time utilizing um, cellulose, so grass. And so that's why you're not gonna go out to lunch today and go graze around outside your office and eat the yard, right? That's not something you can do. Whereas cows have this symbiotic relationship with ruminal microbes that we talked about before that allow them to utilize grasses, forages, and byproducts. And we look at most of the land in the United States, most agricultural land isn't actually suitable for crop production. It's actually pastures and rangeland, and those cows are going out and they're consuming that grass. And what they're really doing is um, fulfilling a niche in the ecosystem of harvesting the grass. So basically, what we've done is take buffalo and remove them and replace them with the beef cattle herd that's much more efficient. And then when we even take them and move them into the feedlot, a relatively small amount of their diet. I mean. Of the animal's entire diet while they're growing but when we move them into the feedlot we feed them a lot of byproducts so that might be from fuel production like distiller's grains um, we feed those byproducts and otherwise those byproducts would be a waste and we might have to burn them or toss them in the landfill so the bovine is really or the cow is really providing us with a way of utilizing these unutilizable feed resources.
0: That's great and, and you actually need something to utilize that grass or to harvest that, that grass, right? Lest we have massive wildfires or, or, or things. I mean, we, we had a uh, 30 to 60 million head Buffalo herd at one time in this country. Right. And we had the great plains and, 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 and no fences and folks, and the cattle or the, the bison roamed and, and ate the grass, but don't, am I, am I onto something there? I mean, you, you need to, to um, uh, forage this grass for the health of the grass and, and to prevent a kind of a over-accumulation of fuel that it could be destructive. Is that-
1: Right. And I think that's the real thing. I mean, you can graze the ecosystem or you can burn it or let it decompose. And so grazing provides some benefit uh, to humans. There's an interesting article I read a while back where they've recreated some of the natural grasslands in Europe. Mm-hmm. I think it was in Germany. And what they figured out is they needed a large ruminant to manage that grassland otherwise it wouldn't stay a productive grassland so what they're trying to do now is recreate the ancient ox basically where the ox came from yep. and um, use that to manage the grass so i thought that was interesting they've tried to create this ecosystem and as a means to reduce beef cattle basically and now they're having to introduce another large ruminant to help manage that ecosystem
0: yeah, I love it. I, I've even seen some some very prominent, you know, environmentalists. Uh, there's there's a gentleman named Alan Savory from from Africa who who says that the beef cattle are the solution to our environmental woes, kind of like you. But his his uh, thinking is a, is all around kind of managed uh, ultra high density grazing and and saying this, the key to helping restore pastures and pastures obviously. Uh, is the, the antithesis of desertification, uh, which which and and if you restore those healthy grasslands and pastures, you can go a long way toward uh, addressing uh, the the issues of climate change. All right, so and you also mentioned and and worked through a term uh, that you you call upcycling protein upcycling. So cattle take the protein from sources uh, we already talked about those uh, the, that we as humans wouldn't normally eat, like grass, or if we do eat them, we wouldn't feel very good. Uh, and transform it into a high protein product like the the steak or a burger, helping people more effectively and more meaningfully meet their protein needs seems like a good thing to me. What, What has your research shown on this
1: protein upcycling as it relates to kind of the human needs? So basically what protein upcycling is trying to do is it accounts for the value that beef cattle production systems bring to human food supplies. We focused specifically on the United States because um, the research was funded by the Beef Checkoff Program. And so that really focused on the United States. And what we basically wanted to do is say, when we look at protein, there's human edible protein and protein that humans can't consume. So human edible protein that would appear commonly in a cow's diet is primarily corn. Okay, And so we can either feed that corn to kids or people Or we can feed that corn to cattle. And so we have a decision as a society, what do we want to do with this corn? One of the challenges with corn is corn is relatively low in protein. And the protein it contains um, is a poor source of amino acids. And so amino acids are the required building blocks for your body. And some of those building blocks are essential. Your body can't make them, so they have to appear in your diet. Corn doesn't contain a lot of essential amino acids. So what we do when we feed corn to cattle is we allow the cow or the spear in this case or the finishing animal to grow, grow more effectively, produce a higher quality product that tastes better, uh, that we enjoy consuming. But what the animal is doing is taking and converting because of their relationship with the microbes, they're converting that lower quality protein into high quality beef. And so from a nutritional standpoint, beef is almost three times as valuable as uh, so its ability to meet your amino acid requirements, not quite, but almost three times. And so when we did all of this research, did all the math, what we basically found is if we took the corn, which uh, that we would feed to a steer for finishing, we could meet the protein requirements or the amino acid requirements of three children. Okay, so by feeding that steer to corn, we basically took corn out of three children's mouths. The challenge with feeding them all that corn is one, they probably wouldn't consume it. And two, they would be obese, okay, because they would get so many calories to meet their amino acid requirements, those kids would have to be obese to meet their amino acid requirements. If we fed that corn to steers or fed that to cattle, we could meet the amino acid requirements of 17 children, toddlers is what we actually do right there because they have great, they have high requirements. The other reason we looked at toddlers, so we have 17 toddlers if we feed the steers, the other reason we look at toddlers is there's some research out of Africa that animal source proteins, so proteins from meat and milk, in particular meat, um, improve cognitive development in children. So when we look at world hunger, um, it's not so much a calorie standpoint anymore. We have sufficient calories in the world to meet uh, human caloric requirements. What we're missing now is uh, amino acids, and then the other thing we talk a lot about is micronutrients, so beef's a great source of iron and zinc, and vitamin B 12. And so those are kind of the nutrients we're missing now. And animal source foods complement a plant-based diet very well. And
0: I, I, you, you uh, articulate that so well, and the science behind this is, is so appreciated. I, I wanted to let you just talk through all of that. And I, I hope the listeners um, grasp just what you're saying. I mean, it, it would take, you know, three pounds of corn, to meet the protein equivalent of, of one pound of beef, and yeah, the only way kids are going to consume that is maybe in the form of Doritos or corn nuts or something like that. What do you? Think? And gosh, that is if you eat that much, it's you know o- obesity, lethargy. Um, you know, I I I love the idea of you know putting that in beef with the amino acids, with the micronutrients, better for the body, better for the mind. And just more efficient. If we're going to feed uh, a world of seven, uh, eight billion people annually, meeting those those not only caloric but but micronutrient needs, beef is an incredibly efficient way to get there. That's that's the bottom
1: line, is it not? Right. I, it is, and I think something that's really important is when we tend to look at life cycle assessments or when we read environmental texts. Uh, a lot of that is written from a global perspective, the global environmental footprint of beef. And if we look at the US, um, we've been on a trajectory of improved sustainability uh, really since after World War II. For every kilo of beef we produce, or for every pound of beef we produce in the United States, we produce a third less methane than some of the other large beef producers. And that's because the efficiency we bring into the system through better management and through all the work that's been done at land-grant universities and other universities and through the USDA for the last 50 years, that allows us to be so much more efficient um, and operate in the top of all the producers. That's remarkable, a third
0: less uh, methane. And I, I'm glad you you plug, uh, rightly so, the land-grant universities and, and this great extension system, both the traditional land-grants The non-land grants like Texas Tech, thank you very much. The 1890s, they're all doing some really remarkable work throughout this land with producers, but also in in the laboratory uh, to to get at the truth of these things, which is just so appreciated. In an environment where, you know, uh, we have Prince Charles uh, saying that cheap food and industrial farming are ruining the planet, just throwing out uh, hyperbolic claims without any real back up or, or, you know, even, you know, there's, there's the science getting to the root of these matters is incredibly important because, you know, we're talking about basic nutrition to feed a hungry world. And, and uh, you know, we in America have promoted uh, a system and, and tried to cultivate a, a dynamic agricultural system that could meet those needs efficiently. And a lot of people are wanting to decry that now, but I, I, I tell you, in my mind, my view of the world, certainly um, the alternative is, is far worse. We have a duty, we have a need to, to, um, to harness the intellectual capability and the, and the work of the hands of, of people around this land to be as efficient as possible uh, to meet those human needs, to care for our brothers and sisters, uh, wherever they are. Uh, in that way by providing the right nutritional needs. I'm sorry to, to get on a, a soapbox here trying, but I just, I'm inspired by the work you're doing. Maybe maybe just round us out with any final thoughts that you would have, trying about uh, these kind of ongoing debates and, and just the other benefits that, that cattle might bring to the table,
1: would you? Um, I mean, I think, you know, we've really hit the big things in terms of helping us manage ecosystems and then the value cattle bring to the human diet, especially consumed in moderation. Uh, the other thing that I guess I would like to bring out would be just the role of technology and uh, the application of technology in the U.S. beef herd allows us to reduce methane. It allows us to produce more beef per animal. And um, I think something we tend to forget, especially in certain realms, is that uh, food still expensive to a large proportion of the population. Having a supply of reasonably priced, affordable animal source proteins is super important um, to the people, especially as um, we look at the value that that protein brings to helping them focus in school, learn more, and then allow them to maybe move out of poverty and move into more successful or higher income jobs.
0: I love it, Brian. You're, you're voicing the needs of. You know, the the common people, you know, the, the needs of our society. But, try and I just appreciate you actually building your research, building your work around the needs of uh, the poorest uh, among us or uh, even outside the U.S. and in the poorer countries of this world. We have an obligation, in my mind, to meet uh, their needs. And, and the American farmer the American ag industry has blessed this world on an annual basis year after year for the last many decades. Uh, with the most efficient agricultural system. And beef and and animal protein is a huge part of that. So I'm just so uh, grateful to you for the work that you're doing. Um, uh, and would I, I'm, I'm gonna wrap up, but I, I just want to offer any 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 kind of final thoughts that you'd have, Brian.
1: Well, I just thank you for taking the time to, uh, one, read the article we wrote, and two, just have an interest in our research and the things we're doing. And, um, Know that the us beef industry continues to try and reduce its environmental footprint and yet produce the safest most nutritious product that can be produced
0: i love it we're, prefer, we're, we're producing with a third less methane today and we can do even better and i appreciate your continued research as we said america's cattle ranchers are really a, a big part an important part of agricultural sustainability efforts there are earnest efforts going on on that front it seems apparent Campaigns to attack cattle, to protect the planet are really, in my mind, crying with just a bunch of hot air. That is the true uh, noxious gas in this, in this situation. Trying, thank you for joining us today, for sharing your expertise with the Groundwork audience. Uh, I, I got to say, I'm going to go home. I'm going to, we're, we're, actually cooking out for a big groove tonight. So we're going to enjoy some, some nice burgers and feel uh, good doing it. That's it for this episode of Groundwork. I'm Tom Sell.